celebrating 10 years of podcasting and online ministry, you are listening to the Bellator Christie Podcast, where we take Christian truth into the arena of ideas. Now join your hosts, Dr. Brian Chilton and Curtis Evelo. Come to you from Pilot Mountain, North Carolina, in Ronan, Montana. This is the Bellator Christie Podcast, where we uh, take Christian truth into the arena of ideas. Uh, this is yours truly, Brian Chilton, uh, here representing the North Carolina side, and Curtis Evelo, uh, representing the Pacific Northwest, as we're, uh, he's, he's uh, bringing it. Uh, to the to work the nation and the world uh, from Ronan, Montana. So we want to thank you for being with us. And uh, cowboy apologist, he is all ramped up and ready to go. And so we <laughs> he's got the coffee. I just tried this new. We need Pepsi. to get some. Need to get some Bellator Christie coffee mugs. Yes, we do. I'm trying this new Starry. I heard about this. Some it used to be Sierra Miss Starry. Uh, <laughs> Pretty good. <laughs> I'm shooting for the stars tonight. I was starting. Shooting for the stars. <laughs> uh, too much fun. Before we get started, just want to let everybody know uh, that uh, the book I'm writing on heaven, Conversations About Heaven, uh, we, we, it, it's just about ready. We've got a few more details to add, and so it should be going to the publisher soon. So we'll give you more updates. Hopefully we'll have a date, a publication date by the end of this season. Uh, but if not, stay tuned to Bellator Christie and our social media accounts. Our seasons last from September to May. Uh, so hope, surely goodness will have something, uh, for you by May. It may be published by May, uh, or, or it is possible that we'll, we'll have a date for you, but, uh, stay tuned as we, uh, end this season in May. Uh, we'll have that in, um, we'll have that more information on that coming up as well. I do have, a, uh, some, uh, Interviews we have in store for you. We have, or we're hoping to have, uh, Dr. Chad Thornhill. We've got to clarify or, or uh, uh, confirm that with him, uh, hopefully coming up in the next few weeks as we do a podcast on Romans 9. Then after our soteriology or at the conclusion, <laughs> first, what was that? <laughs> uh, ooh, I'm excited for that one. That's going to be a fun one. What's in that coffee I've got? <laughs> Yeah, just just straight coffee. Good but, stuff. But hopefully, hopefully, we'll have Chad Thornhill with us coming up here in a few weeks. Again, we got to confirm the date, and then at the end of our soteriology season, our series, we're going to have Dr. T.J. Gentry with us as he has a new book coming out, uh, "Leaving Calvinism, Finding Grace." So he'll he'll talk more about that book, and he'll give us uh, hopefully some information as to when that book will be. Uh, published as well. We are actually working on a uh, book, uh, a collaborative book project, the first of its kind with the Bellator Christie team on the topic of creationism. So uh, come season seven, September of this year, when season seven begins, we should have more information concerning that book for you. Uh, and so it, we had our first meeting last week, and I want to tell you, I am more excited than before, than ever before, uh, about this book because I think this is going to have some incredible stuff, uh, in it that's going to bless you. It's going to bless the church, I think, for, 
for many years to come. And we even have some high name guys asking questions already uh, about, uh, about the book. I noticed that Swamidas uh, was asking questions about some of the things that we were going to talk about in, uh, in the book uh, on Facebook. So I'm excited about this book. I I really think that this may be the first of many projects, uh, publication projects you see from the team of Bellator Christie. And so uh, we're excited about that. And so again, all the more reason to tune in, not only for the duration of season six, but especially season seven, as we'll have more information on that book project coming up next season. So just a just a great time to be part of the Bellator Christie Ministries, and we are excited to see what God is doing. So again, tonight we're talking about adoption and the spiritual family of God, and with that, we'll turn it over to our brother in Christ, all the way from Ronan, Montana, the cowboy apologist, Curtis Develo. Boy, I tell you, the the book project after the first meeting, um, I don't know about you, Brian, but um, I was I was getting really excited and really nervous. I was getting nervous think, because I'm like, oh, that's a lot of pressure on 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 like, you know, just for like me putting it into that type of a format, 20 some pages for a chapter and then, you know, listen to some of these um there I'm excited because there's going to be a bunch of information packed in that book i have no idea it might be a six seven hundred page book <laughs> well we're thinking what the what the thought is is if it's <laughs> around the the limits we're thinking of it'll probably be anywhere between two to three hundred pages i can i can see yeah. that but uh, but who knows it could go a little longer we don't know but <laughs> is it 14 i'm just saying because it Fourteen chapters, Four. and, it, and every yeah. one of them will be just chocked full of solid material. And it's, yeah. I mean, I think it's going to be great. I think the challenging part is going to be taking some of the stuff that that um, our team has talked about, and 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 condensing it down for them, yeah. and making and tightening it up into twenty pages. I just there's some stuff that's like wow. These guys could write for a long time on it. <laughs> well, I, I'm even looking at my chapter, what I'm going to be covering in, and I could see where it would be, in my opinion, with some of these chapters more difficult to confine it to around 20 pages than than getting enough to make up 20 pages. So, yes, mm-hmm. but again, we'll have more information as we move along. But, I, you know, I, we, there are going to be some excellent contributions in this book Um so, so I, I'm excited. I, I, the goal is uh, is uh, spring of 2024 to have this published. And so, mm-hmm. uh, again, folks, I don't want to give away too much because uh, it, but it's going to be good. It's going to be some mm-hmm. good chapters in this book. Well, and and here's the thing. Every single one that's contributing to the book has wrote articles on the on the website. So you can kind of get a flavor or a taste of what, um, how they write and what they write about. And, and you can kind of already get that kind of, uh, thing going. And I'll just imagine that put into a book format. It's going to be awesome. Absolutely. So let's jump right in, Brian, cause I know this might get a little long. Um, the f- first question here, what do we mean by adoption? 
So I, I'm going to give a brief uh, description, and then I want to turn it over to Curtis to get his definition, uh, and, and I'll explain uh, why here in a few moments. Adoption refers to a person being brought into a family that was originally not their own. Um, and so this, we'll, we'll think about that and contemplate that as, it, as we talk about God. But Curtis, you and your family, you and your wife, Chris, you guys have uh, uh, served as foster parents, and you guys have adopted children yourself. So I'm sure this topic must mean a lot to you guys. And so I would be interested in hearing your definition, how you would describe or define mm -hmm. adoption. Yeah, it comes right into the same thing of what you said there, Brian, as far as bringing into a family that is not of your own. But secondly, there's a choosing that goes on, you know, um, on top of that, there's a defining moment in adoption where your name transfers, your uh, new name then becomes this, you know, then your you become part of this family. And there's a defining moment where the judge drops the gavel and says, I pronounce you to be in this family and it's just a beautiful moment because there's it's and it's a it's it truly is a gospel moment it, it truly is every time you hear it it's like right there it's it's you're watching what god does for us in real time mm. how powerful yeah so when we take this a step farther as Curtis has mentioned about what God does for us, when we speak of the adoption of a child of God, we must first remember that everyone has been created by God. So in a sense, everyone is already, uh, everyone can say that God is their creator, thus being their father to a certain extent. Everyone, everything owes its existence to a sovereign creator. However, the nature of sin restricts a person from entering the personal covenant family of God. The mm -hmm. sin causes a separation and, and in a sense causes an individual to become an enemy of God because remember God's holiness has to do something with sin, either atone mm -hmm. the sin or, or destroy the sin, destroy the, the sin. So uh, if, if you go back to the whole imagery in um, Exodus, around Mount Sinai or in the Ark of the Covenant, uh, you had to go through a special ritual to enter to the presence of God to eliminate, atone, have that sin atoned. And it's not for God's protection, but it's for the person's protection entering into that mm -hmm. covenant relationship, entering into the presence of God. So the sin causes a person to become an enemy of God. Spiritual adoption occurs when God brings a person into his family and calls that person his son or daughter. Thus, as Millard Erickson says, this transfer from a status of alienation and hostility to one of acceptance and favor is termed Adoption. And I think that uh, I was, I've got a book at Ollie's the other day from Hank Handegraaff, and I know he's become an Orthodox, uh, Orthodox Christian of the Orthodox faith. And he mentioned something, that, and while I don't agree with all of his perspectives, and I haven't read all the, the book all the way through, but skimming through some of the sections, he was talking about how 
this relationship is far deeper than we ever imagined because we are in essence we have entered into or been ushered into that relationship with the triune Godhead, Father, Son, mm-hmm. and Holy Spirit, uh, planned by God, ordained by God, accomplished through the atoning work of the Son, and applied and uh, and manifested through the work of the Spirit. So in essence, we have a relationship mm-hmm. with all three eternal persons of the triune Godhead. And what an amazing thing that is to stop and consider. Yep. I don't yeah. think we, I think he's right in that we don't give that enough attention these days. Well, I'd have to agree. I mean, it, we also don't um, talk about why we need that. You know, there, there's a lot of, there's a lot of that talk that's going on about, you know, just, just be friends with Jesus. Well, <laughs> it's more than that. You know, when you said a tone, atoning, um, atonement, any of those things, it just, the, the festivals just come to my mind constantly, no matter where we're at or what we're doing, you start mentioning those kind of things. Those are the things that pop into my head. And, mm-hmm. You know, the rituals that that Moses laid out um, that that God gave him that Moses laid out for the Israelites, the the you know, Yom Kippur was is an atoning sacrifice, something that had to be done to, to for salvation. Absolutely. So anyway, um when does adoption occur for the child of God? <laughs> adoption occurs the moment a person enters into that relationship with Christ. So the moment a person is justified, that person enters into, essentially enters into, uh, the, is essentially adopted at that moment in time. And so we've got some passages of scripture that we want to, that we want to mention tonight. And so we're bringing up the handy dandy Lagos Bible software. And so we've got uh, several things we want to mention tonight. And Curtis, I'll have you, if you will. Uh, well, actually, I'll go ahead and read the first verse and, and then have you read the second verse and then I'll read the third and we'll go on, we'll go on from there. Uh, so, but first and foremost, we see that those who believe in Christ are called children of God. And we go to John uh, chapter 1, verse 12, which says, But to those who did receive him, he gave them the right to be children of God, to those who believe in his name, who were born not of natural descent, or that can also uh, be termed blood, or of the will of the flesh, or the will of man, but of God. So those who received him, he gave right the right to be called the children of God. And so from here we go to uh, to Ephesians one five. Ephesians one five. Let me write type this in. Ephesians one five. And we see in this verse that adoption is the fulfillment of God's plan. So, Curtis, would you read that for us? Yeah, so he's, it says here, he predestined us to be adopted as sons through Jesus Christ for himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace that he lavished on us in the beloved, beloved one. Absolutely. So there's this whole plan of salvation, this whole aspect of adoption 
was foreordained by the Father, planned by the Father, ordained by the Father, accomplished by the Son, applied and brought to each individual through the Holy Spirit. So there again, you have that triune God working to uh, bring us into his adopted plan. And so Paul also associates adoption with justification in Galatians 4, 4 and 5. Let's go there. Galatians, Galatians. Four, four, and five says when, and I won't go ahead and read this on down to seven. When the time came to completion, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that so that we might receive adoption as sons. And we became, and because you are sons, God sent the spirit of the son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you're no longer a servant or slave, but a son. And if a son, then God has made you an heir. And we're going to come back to this passage of Scripture uh, as we move on in the podcast tonight. Mm. So there again, adoption uh, it comes through Christ, applied by the Spirit, but ordained, foreordained, foreplanned by the Father himself. Did you want me to read it? You already read it. Oh, are you ready? <laughs> we got some more for you. Don't worry. <laughs> got a lot more, in fact. Are you still there? Well, I'm here. Oh, okay. <laughs> we ready to move on to the next question? Yep. So, I guess then, I guess then, is there a formal uh, declarative sense in our adoption in Christ then? So, in other words, are we declared, is there a sense in which we are declared mm-hmm. The, the sons and daughters of God, or, or just as you talked about, just as you spoke about the judge uh, formally proclaiming that a person is with the last name or, or a part of this family, uh, this, the question is the same thing. Is there a former declarative sense in which we are declared the adopted uh, sons and daughters of Christ? And, and yes, there is. There's a declarative sense that a person is an adopted child of God because of adoption's relationship with justification. Those are, have been justified, redeemed, declared pure, clean, and justified by a holy God. We are declared part of that holy family of God. So let's take a look at John 15, uh, verses 14 and 15. John 15, 14 and 15. And this is what Jesus says. And I'll tell you what, Curtis, if you'll read this, but go on down to verse 17, because we're going to see that Jesus doesn't he, he qualifies he doesn't call his disciples his servants and that's an important mm-hmm. thing to remember he doesn't call his disciples his servants he calls them something else let's see what he calls his disciples sure verses sure so it says here for verse 14 you are my friends if you do what i command you i do not call you servants anymore because a servant doesn't know what his master is doing 
I have called you friends because I have made known to you everything I have heard from my father. You did not choose me, but I chose you, appointed you to go and produce fruit, that your fruit should remain, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give you. This is what I command you. Love one another. Oh, if we could just learn verse 17. What a better world this would be. <laughs> John fifteen seventeen. if we could just learn that, uh, a lot of problems would... would uh, pass by uh so we we see here that jesus disciples his servants he's jesus in in the father is not a taskmaster Uh, and so he's not bringing people to salvation to have minions serving him or underlings to to or lemmings to just to simply follow him and never ask questions or He's not calling people to do that. He's calling people to be part of his family. Mm-hmm. What a powerful statement that is. What a powerful reflection that is to stop and consider that God wants you, yes, you listening to this podcast tonight, he wants you to be part of his family. That's right. what salvation and covenant relationship is all about, being part of the family of God. And I, I just this this section of john always just gets to me because it, it it says you know i have appointed you to go and produce fruit i i and and that i gave you the opportunity to go produce fruit that's just amazing to me absolutely so then in what sense are the adopted people of God called his children? So scripture strongly relates that the disciples of Christ or strongly relates the disciples of Christ uh, as being God's children or to God. And there's five things we'll look at uh, as, as how scripture defines us as being part of this adopted family of God. First of all, humanity is God's, uh, all of humanity is God's children due to the being part of the creation. However, the child of God holds a personal relationship. So let's look to Acts 17, Acts 17, 24, and I'll go ahead and read this. Acts 17, 24. Um, well, that was it brought up 14. I think it's 24. Okay, 24 through 29. 24 through 29. It says this. Uh, I believe this is in the area. Yeah, here it is in verse 22, Areopagus, uh, there in Athens. Paul is telling the Athenians, the God who made this world and everything in it, he is the Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in shrines made with hands. Neither is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives everyone life and breath and all things. Man, he has made every nationality to live over the whole earth and has determined their appointed times and the boundaries of where they live. He did this so that they might seek God and perhaps they might reach out and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, as even some of your own poets have said, for we are also his offspring. Since then we are God's offspring. We shouldn't think that the divine nature is like gold or silver stone or an image fashioned by human art and imagination. 
And so, um, and going down to verse 30 and 31, uh, therefore, having overlooked the times of ignorance, God now commands all people everywhere to repent because he has set a day where he's going to judge the world in righteousness by the man he has appointed. Mm. He has provided proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. So here again, you see Paul is speaking to the to the fact that we are all, in a sense, God's children because he's made everyone. But we enter into that personal relationship, that personal covenant relationship with God through Christ as evidenced by Christ's own resurrection. Now, that's the gospel in a nutshell right there. Mm. <laughs> uh, man, Acts 17, another one of my favorite, favorite uh, sections of the Bible. Just, uh, I mean, imagine Paul just walking through that area, pondering and looking at all these statues and, and idols and stuff and just thinking to himself, man, these people are really devoted to just dumb stuff. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So, so first we see all humanity's God's children do, be, do being part of the creation. Secondly, Paul notes that the discipline that God brings to his children. Here mm-hmm. we go to Hebrews right. 12, 5 through 9. We'll have you read this here, Curtis. Hebrews 12 and 5 through 9. It's taking a little bit for the computer here. There we go. So 5, verse 5, and it says, You have forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons. My son. What's that? Uh, I accidentally scrolled. (laughs) Oh, yeah, I see that because it it just did it slowly. I could have kept reading. But it says, my son, do not take the Lord's discipline lightly or lose heart whenever you are reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and punishes every son he receives. Endure suffering as discipline. God is dealing with you as sons. For what son is there that a father does not discipline? But if you are without discipline, which all receive, then you are an illegitimate you are illegitimate children and not sons. Furthermore, we had human fathers that disciplined us and we respected them. Shouldn't we submit even more to the Father of the Spirits and live? So I, I said this to the church over at Fellowship, and I, and I say it again. I don't mean to sound crass or obtuse or anything like that or, or mean-spirited, but so many times we treat God as if he's Santa Claus more than we do a Heavenly Father. Yeah. So many times we come to God asking God, you do this or you do that instead of asking God, what do you want me to do? It's like mm-hmm. we're trying to tell God what he should do rather than stopping and consider what he's trying to tell us mm-hmm. that we should do. So God is going to correct us if we get out of line. He is, a he-, he is our heavenly father. So we should expect and anticipate that he's going to reel us in if we get too far off course. And so third James argues that the God, that God the father of all humanity is the father of all humanity and the source of all good gifts. James 1, 17, we go. Uh, let's take a look here. James 1, 17. 
says, Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. Go ahead and read verse 18. By his own choice, he gave us birth, the word of truth, so that we might be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. So God is the source of every good and perfect gift. So fourthly, we see the prophet Malachi notes the common connection that we all have in God being our father in Malachi 2.10. And Curtis, I'll have you read this. Malachi mm-hmm. 2.10. There we go. Yeah. Internet's a little slow. Here it is. Don't all of us have one father? Didn't God, didn't one God create us? Why then do we act treacherously against one another, profaning the covenant of our ancestors? Judah has acted treacherously and and detestable, uh, and, and a detestable act has been done in Israel and in Jerusalem. For Judah has profaned the Lord's sanctuary, but which he loves. Uh, which he loves, and has married the daughter of a foreign god. Ouch. May the Lord cut off from the tents of Jacob the man who does this, whoever he may, whoever he may be, even if he presents an offering to the Lord of armies. So, so here we see that the common connection is that God is one father of us all. We, we don't have many father, heavenly fathers. There's one father. Mm-hmm. That's God the Father. And then he goes into talking about, you know, the, the covenant and the breaking of the covenant that happened in Malachi's time. We won't we don't have time to really go into all that, but but we, we see the importance of that covenant relationship. And we also see the fact that uh, one God created us all. And so we're all part of, you know, especially you know, believers in Christ, we're part of the same family. Uh, we're part of we we all serve one God, we all serve one Christ, we're all filled with one spirit, and so mm-hmm. that's an important distinction to consider and so John also, and this is our last point of this section, John also speaks to the special relational distinction that believers have with God in first John three one let me go to first John three one first John three one. See what great love the Father has given us that we should be God's. We should uh, let me start over. See what great love the Father has given us that we should be called God's children, and we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it, it didn't know Him. I'm going to read on down to verse mm-hmm. three, dear friends. Mm-hmm. We are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet been revealed. We know that when He appears, we will be like Him. Because we will see him as he is. And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. So we're part of this one common family uh, that God has given us. And he's given us the the ability, the, the uh, blessedness of being called the children of God. And what a powerful thing that is to be part of that adopted family. Of God. Hmm. Yeah. So then what benefits come come by this adoption? Oh, there's numerous. And I looked through some of the theology books and I pulled out some things here and I added a few myself. But uh, it's all together. I think we can see at least and these. These are not exhaustive by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, This is just a limited scope. There are many other benefits we could add. 
But five that that I would like to discuss here. Uh, First, consider the ethical traits that God shares with his family. God shares his kindness. He shares forgiveness, compassion with us. And in like manner, we are commanded to share those same attributes with our fellow man. Now, let's go to Ephesians 4.32. Ephesians 4.32. Ephesians 4.32, and Curtis, I'll ask if you'll read this for us. Mm-hmm. Okay, third, verse 32. And be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another, just as God also forgave you in Christ. So just as God forgave us, we are to forgive others. And I think you could also say that the Bible tells us that just as God loves us, so we are to love one another. One another. Now, people will say, well, there's no way we can forgive like God. There's no way we can love like mm-hmm. God. You're right, but that shouldn't stop us from trying. Uh, there's a passage of Scripture, I can't remember where it is, that says if you're going to compete, can compete to outdo one another in the love and grace you show one another. Yeah. Uh, if, if there's to be any competition yeah. found, uh, which which is just simply saying that we should bestow the love that's been given to us by God, the grace that's been given to us by God, we should share that love and grace uh, with other people. Uh, secondly, we all, well we also see uh, some other things. God is not only um, uh, forgiving and, and compassionate, but He's merciful, tender-hearted, and kind. Let's go to Exodus uh, thirty-four six and seven. Exodus 34, <laughs> four, six, and 7. And I'll go ahead and read this for us real quick. The Lord passed in front of him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord is a compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger and abounding in faithful love and truth, maintaining faithful love to a thousand generations, forgiving iniquity, rebellion, and sin. But he will not leave the guilty unpunished, bringing the consequences of the father's iniquity on the children and grandchildren to the third and fourth generation. So the, the point is, is God is compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in faithful love and truth. And so that God has even bestowed even more of his compassion, gracefulness and, and graciousness and, and his faithful love and truth to us through the new covenant that's found in Christ Jesus. So uh, let's take a look also at Psalms 103, Psalm 103, 8 through 14, 103, 8 through 14, Psalm 103, 8 through 14. And so, Curtis, I, I'll see if you'll give, if you'll uh, read this for us. Sure. So in in this, it says, uh, verse 8, the Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and and abounding in faithful love. He will not always accuse us or be angry forever. He has not dealt with us as our sins deserve or repaid us according to our iniquities. Think about this. This is Jesus hasn't even been on the face of the earth yet. And, And this is being said so. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is the faithful love towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgression from us. Uh, As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him.
Yeah, and then, and then verse fourteen says, "For he knows that we are oh, yeah. we're made of remembering that we're just dust." And you know, it's just a powerful statement. And as you mentioned, Curtis, you know, I've heard a lot of people mm-hmm. say, "Isn't God in the Old Testament a mean old nasty ogre?" Well, not according mm-hmm. to this passage of scripture. Well, and 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 let's be fair. I mean, when we read that. God is faithful, gracious to those who fear him in, in that in that word fear. What does that mean? You got logos right here. What let's see what the definition of that of that word fear means. Yeah, so. Um, what, what verse are you talking about? So I think it was down 12. Twelve, thirteen, right there on thirteen. It says, "The Lord has compassion on those who fear Him." So, verse thirteen. Mm-hmm. Okay. So uh, this is the word yare, translates fear, uh, to be fearful. But I think it has even more of a connotation of a reverence uh, mm-hmm. when you sense. So it's kind of a, of a reverential fear. So it's kind of like I, I often equate this to being like that time that I got caught in a lightning storm uh, or a thunderstorm with lightning popping all over the place. Since that time, I have a healthy fear, a respect of lightning, but that doesn't mean that I just shake in my boots every time lightnings or anything like that. But I have a healthy mm-hmm. respect for lightning now that I was almost hit by it. Uh, and I think that is that's the same connotation. It's a reverential awe. Uh, the exact opposite of that fear would be to live a life of blasphemy. Where, where, you know, you don't have any concern for God. You, you know, take God's name in vain. You, you know, you just don't really care uh, whatsoever. Good. That's, that's yeah. the opposite of the fear. You know, we mm-hmm. used to use the phrase and we still do many circles, God fearing believers. It doesn't mean mm-hmm. that you, you shake in your boots because right. you have a loving relationship with God, but it's the same, you have the reverential fear, reverential awe of God. So that's that's mm-hmm. an important point that need, that needs to be brought up. But we also well, look at uh, go ahead. I was just going to say, you know, you hear people say, you know, non-believers, I wouldn't step foot in the church because I would fear that there that lightning would strike me down as soon as I walked through the door. You know, I'm just saying that that's a quote I've heard before or what have you. In reality, what 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 gives them that um what what gives them that idea of fear why would they fear that and not fear you know well i I think it's (laughs) i think it's for some people whenever they view god they view him as that mean maniacal tyrant Mm -hmm. uh but that is not the depiction of god that's given in scripture I'm, i'm preaching a series through uh, on the life of moses right now at fellowship missionary baptist church in mount airy and if 
and I've, I'm seeing things because I've never done a series through on the life of Moses before. And I'm seeing, you know, you read passages of scripture where, where God says he's going to wipe out the nations and, and, and things of this nature. Of course, of course, God really wasn't going to do that. It wasn't God's a liar. I think in way, many, some ways he was testing Moses and preparing the, the, the younger generation to enter into the promised land because the older generation he got, he knew they weren't going to go in there because they were too afraid. They didn't have that, mm-hmm. they didn't have that trust of him that they needed to enter into the promised land. But as I read this passage of scripture, I don't look at God as being a mean tyrant. I look at the grace he has and the patience yeah. he had with these people because, I mean, they were talking about, they were talking about, so we're fed up with God. We'd rather be slaves in Egypt, go back to Egypt and be slaves there under their, under their their uh, their tyrant, uh, under their maniacal leadership, we would rather be their slaves than to receive the blessings of God and enter into the promised land. I mean, talk about slapping God in the face. Yeah, they did, but God didn't wipe them out. God didn't do anything of that sort. Um, God had far more grace with those people than I think any other person in history ever would. Uh, so I think God demonstrated really his graciousness uh, in, in that, uh, in, in that story far more than I ever realized whenever I gave it a cursory reading in the past. That's good. That's good. So let me, let me move on to the next one as we take a look at Romans five, one uh Romans in Romans 5 1 we see the adopted children of God experience peace we're talking about the benefits that come with this adoption we talked about the ethical traits as we we experience the characteristics the attributes of God his faithfulness here we experience peace and Romans 5 1 says therefore since we've been justified by faith we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ We've gained access to him uh, by faith into this grace in which we stand and so uh, and so on and so forth. But we experience peace. And listen, we our nation is broken. Uh, our nation is broken right now. We have a lot of hurting people. We have a lot of people who are scared to death about what will come. We have a lot of people who are frightened, who can't even go out the door without worrying about being shot or worried about being something happening to them uh it's we live in a heart it's it's a fear-mongering society anymore but we can have that peace that transcends all understanding that peace found in god so third adopted children receive reconciliation with god uh and have the ability to reconcile with others and uh, let's take a look at verses eight and ten of the same chapter so Let's read verse 8, and then we'll go, well, if you want to just go ahead and read on down there, that'd be fine, too. Uh, Verses 8 and 10, or through 10. Wait for that. There we are. So it says, verse 8, But God proves his own love for us, in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. How much more than since we now have been justified by his blood, will we be saved through him from wrath? Verse 10, for if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, then how much more, having been reconciled, will we be saved by his life? Hmm. Verse 11, yeah, and verse 11 reads, here's this, and not only that, not only that, 
but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received this reconciliation. What a powerful thing it is to know that when you lay your head down at night, I, I told the mm-hmm. people at fellowship just not this not long ago, whenever I was, whenever I was out of the Lord's will, out of the ministry, didn't have a right relationship with the Lord. I didn't have that peace. But to think now, being in Christ, having a right relationship with him, when I lay my head down at night, I know that if I don't wake up by the next morning, I'll enter into the eternity God has prepared for me. Because I have that reconciliation with God through Christ. And we also have the ability to reconcile with others uh, through, through, that, uh, through that reconciliation that God provides us. Now, the fourth, moving on here, fourth. The adopted child of God has liberty in Christ. Curtis, I'm going to ask you to read this one because I'm saving the last one. I've got to read the last one <laughs> because it is a it is my life verse. I've got to read it. Oh, I yeah. share it with people, and I, and you'll know what I'm talking about here in a few moments. But Romans eight fourteen through sixteen talks about the liberty we have in Christ. Let's go to Romans eight fourteen and sixteen. Romans eight fourteen. Through 16. And actually go on down to 17 if you want to. Just waiting on the computer here. Oh, that's no problem. We got to have our internet dropped to us by snail mail. Just so <laughs> it takes a little while. So. Uh, brother, uh, I understand completely. You go on down the few miles from here and they have perfect internet here. We're on that same snail mail. I don't know what it is. <laughs> uh, we're handicapped by living out of the out in the country. My goodness. So there's a price um, to paradise. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Verse fourteen. For all those led by God's spirit are God's sons. For you, if you did not receive a spirit of slave, so if you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, instead. You receive the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies together with our spirit. That's something to pay attention to. That we are God's children. And if children also heirs and if heirs of God, then co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him. Amen. So we have the Spirit of God communing with us. This is why I tell people all the time, there's nowhere you can go that God's not already with you. Uh, there's right. not a mountain high enough. There's not a valley low enough. Even a few weeks ago when I was scared out of my mind, felt as helpless as all can be, when my wife was in agonizing pain in the emergency room, I still had that assurance that the Spirit of God was with us even in that moment. No matter what you find yourself in, no matter what circumstance, no matter where you go, if you are a, a part of that adopted family of God, if you're an adopted child of God, a son and daughter of God, God is always with you, and he promises that he will never leave you, and he will never forsake you. And this brings us to the fifth uh, the fifth benefit that comes from the ado- being part of the adopted family of God, and that is that we receive the fatherly care of God, which means that we are the heirs of God. Paul talks about this in Romans 8, 16 and 17, also Philippians 4, 19. But also the believer experiences the unending love of God 
a love so deep that nothing can ever separate a person from the love of God. And for this, I told you I had to read this. It's my life verse, the whole section, verse 31 through 39. What then shall we say about these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He did not even spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him grant us everything? Who can bring an accusation against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Uh, Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is the one who died, but even more has been raised. He also is at the right hand of God and intercedes for us. Who can separate us from the love of Christ? Can affliction? or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword. As it is written, because of you, we are being put to death all day long. We are counted as sheep to be slaughtered. But Paul goes on to say, no, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Hmm. Amen. That is such, if we can wrap our minds around that one truth, that will resolve a lot of fears that we have in life. That no matter what happens to you, no matter what may come, the love of God for you, that he has for you in Christ Jesus will not change. Think about that. Not even death itself can separate you from the love of God found in Christ Jesus our Lord. Mm. No angel, no demon, no devil of hell can separate you from the love of God. So what you're saying is we can't lose our salvation? Well, now, I am a Baptist, but I (laughs) But I'm not even going to go into that part. But I I think the scripture speaks for itself that I I think that for the child of God, that that there's no. And I think that God has a love for everybody. Uh, But the love that we have is part of that um, family of God part of that covenant of God. There's no separation from the love that he has for us. It's unending. Mm. So um, there are many other topics you can bring in, you know, to that, but um, but just a powerful thing. I just, I just, I just love how, you know, I mean, that ties into the Psalm 103 right there because it says nor height, nor depth, nor, nor other created things. I mean, just, it goes in and talks about, you know, he has forgotten our transgressions from the as far as, as far as the east is from the west, mm-hmm. and then it says nor height nor depth. It's just right. it's powerful. Absolutely. So then, uh, how much liberty comes with God's grace in His in this adopted relationship? Are we free to do as we please, or are there certain commandments required for the believer? Well, already we've seen that there are certain things that Jesus requires of his of his children. And he said, right. if you love me, keep my commandments. And what was one of the commandments he emphasized? To love one another. 
And John picks up this on picks up on this same this same theme throughout his letters in first, second, and third John. Uh, so, but mm-hmm. but God is not a taskmaster, you know. And I, and I have right. a feeling there's so many people who have this view of God as if that if they were to slip up and fail and and something that he's going to strike them down. That is not the depiction of God we find in Scripture. God gives us with this salvation, not a taskmaster. He's our loving heavenly father, and he gives us liberty. And liberty gives us freedom and value. Again, God is not a taskmaster, but rather he's a loving heavenly father. However, this freedom does not grant us a license to sin. If I can go back and quote Spider-Man, with great power comes great responsibility. It's not a scripture, but it should be, <laughs> because I think we see that same thing in scripture. So let's take a look at Galatians five thirteen through sixteen. Galatians five thirteen through sixteen. Thirteen through sixteen. Now, Brian, just before we get into reading that, I also, you know, and I also think that comes from a, from a, a from teachings, um, from from. It just churches, just church teachings that, um, and, and the pendulum swings. So they show, like you're saying, God being the tyrant and, and overseer and overbearer and so on and so forth, taskmaster, master. And then it swings the other way where he's a mamby pamby, you know, can't, you know, can't take care of anything. Yeah, I, there was a book, there's some research, uh, I can't remember, I think it's called America's Four Gods, and I, I, uh, I was trying to think of oh. the guys who wrote the book, um, and, they look, and they noticed that uh, they observed that, that Americans, and they were only looking at Americans, Americans held four views of God. Uh, one was the authoritative view of God, and that he was a uh, very involved, tyrannical type of God. Second, there was a benevolent God, a God who uh, didn't have many restrictions, uh, but was more of a, a loving God, but no restrictions. Uh, the third was the critical God, a God who was uninvolved, uh, would judge everybody for everything they did at the end of time, but they, he was kind of a deadbeat dad, wouldn't be involved in anything. And a distant God, a God who let's let everybody in, and there was no restrictions or no judgment or anything like that. So I read the book, I came to realize that all four views are wrong. Uh, God yeah. is love. And, and if I were to err, I'm going to be honest with you. If I were to err, I would err on the side of grace, quite frankly. Yeah. Uh, I would err on the side of grace. I would not err on the side of him being a mean, tyrannical bully, as some places have done. I would err on the side of, of the benevolent God, quite frankly. But um, but I think all view, four views are incorrect because God is a powerful, loving Heavenly Father. He does have requirements for us. He does have expectations for us because he is our Heavenly Father. Again, he's not a Santa Claus figure. He's our Heavenly Father. Uh, so, again, with that grace, with that liberty comes responsibility, uh, comes expectations uh, and so, yeah, I, I think that you're right, Curtis. I think that throughout America, we've we've gone from one extreme to another uh, when really the truth is really more in the middle if we follow Scripture. But let's yeah. take a look at uh, verses 13 through. Let's go ahead and go on down to verse 18. So verse 13, for you were called to be free, brothers and sisters, 
Only don't use this freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but serve one another through love. For the whole law is fulfilled in one statement. Love your neighbor as yourself. Verse 15, but you bite and devour one another. Watch out or you will be consumed by one another. I say then walk by the spirit and you will certainly not carry out the desires of the flesh for the flesh desires what is it what it is against and the what is against the spirit and the spirit desires what is against the flesh these are opposed to one to one another so that you do not or you don't do what you want what you want but if you are led by the spirit you are not under the law so here's what this means with this liberty that god gives us comes responsibility so he doesn't require the obser- the observance of all the festivals of old. He, he He's not holding us under a microscope or magnifying glass to see uh, just how in tune we are with the law because we're under the law of grace now. Now, if a person wants to observe the festivals of old, they're more th- they have the liberty to do so. Uh, that, but you don't, you're not required to, you know, if you, there's great liberty that comes with the relationship with Christ because we are under the, the law of grace now and not under the law itself. But there is a responsibility that comes with this liberty. Again, as mm-hmm. Spider-Man said, with great power, actually, as his uncle Ben said it, with great power comes great responsibility. I think Paul is saying essentially the same thing. With liberty that God gives us, there is a great deal of responsibility. But the key thing in all of this is to be led by the Spirit and not by the flesh. If you're led by the Spirit then you're going to be able to fulfill a lot of the things. You're not going to bite and devour one another. You're not going to be consumed with all of these things. You're going to seek to love God with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself. So it's all about being filled with the Spirit and led by the Spirit. That's the that's the true thing uh, that, that brings liberty to us. But, yes, there are indeed responsibilities that come. Uh, in John 15, 14 through 15, we won't read this because uh, we're running down on time. Uh, believers are called the friends of God in John 15, 14 and 15. Uh, God is also our heavenly father, meaning that he'll discipline us uh, when we get out of line. We see this in Proverbs 3, 11 and 12. Let me go ahead and read this right quick. Proverbs 3, 11 and 12. Proverbs. 3, 11, and 12. Do not despise the Lord's instruction, my son, or and do not loathe his discipline, for the Lord disciplines the one he loves, just as a father disciplines the son in whom he delights. And so we see this later on in the New Testament uh, quoted there as well. So uh, Hebrews 12, 5, and 7 mentions that also. So very important truths for us to remember. Yeah. So um, I'd love to be able to expound on that a little more, but like you said, we're running short on time. So um, what does it mean to be part of the spiritual family of God? Is this family only found with believers on earth and in our, lo- and in our local communities? Oh, Curtis, 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 I wish we had a lot more time than what we do. Mm-hmm. What I am, what I observe is that so often believers become engrossed in their churches as so as to think that 
only that church encompasses the body of Christ. Now, of course, we know that's not true. So, so many times we also look at uh, at, at our churches, or maybe uh, our our regions, or maybe our mm-hmm. states, or maybe our our quadrants of the country, wherever it may be, or the regions, whatever we may be, or even our denominations, and think that only those who are Southern Baptists or Assemblies of God or so on and so forth forth are part of the kingdom of God or part of the family of God, that you've got to be part of this denomination to be part of the family of God. And that's certainly not true. Some people will even look at it and say, well, you've got to be an American and you've got to hold to certain ideals if you're going to be a Christian. But is that true? It's not according to what Scripture says. I want us to take a look at three passages of Scripture real quickly to show just how big the family of God truly is. And let's take Huge. a look at he, absolutely Hebrews 12 is where we're going to start. Uh, he, Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. I'll go ahead and read this for us right quick. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. The word of God says, therefore, since we also have such a large cloud of witnesses surrounding us, not only in the physical realm, but also in the spiritual realm, let us lay aside every hindrance and the sin that so easily ensnares us. Let us run with endurance the race that lies before us, keeping our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter, founder and completer, source and perfecter of our faith. For the joy that lay before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. We not only are part of the family of God on earth, but we have a heavenly cloud of witnesses, Mm. part of the body of Christ that's already in heaven, that's Mm -hmm. part of our family as well. Preach it. <laughs> but then we see there's no distinction between the members of the family of God. Let's take a look at Galatians uh, three twenty-eight. Uh, let's go to Galatians three twenty-eight. And Curtis, if you'll read this for us. Mm-hmm. Waiting here just a second. Three twenty-eight. There is no Jew or Greek, slave or free, male and female, since you are all one. In Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed, heirs according to the promise. Right, there you go. All these distinctions we make for ourselves, God doesn't. There's no Mm -hmm. white, black. There's no Russian American. There's no Arab or Jew. We are all one in Christ. Think about that. We're all one in Christ if you're part of this heavenly family of God. And then we take a look at a heavenly glimpse in Revelation 7, 9 through 12. Let's take a look at Revelation 7, 7, 9 through 12. (laughs) Picture yourself in this scene, and we will be in this scene one day. John looking and said uh, into heaven, says, after this I looked, and there was a vast multitude from every nation, tribe, people, and language, which no one could number, Mm. standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who is seated on the throne and to the Lamb. 
people, I'm just going to tell you this. If you have problems with people of a different race, a different language, a different nation, you better be learning to get over it because you're going to be worshiping with those people. If they're part of the family of God, you're going to be worshiping with them for all eternity. Mm-hmm. And what a wonderful thing that's going to be. We're going to be in the part of the same heaven, the new creation, the new heaven and the new earth with people from every tribe, language, tongue, ethnicity, anyone who's called upon the name of Christ and believed in him as their savior, they're going to be in that heavenly abode. And we're going to be worshiping God for all eternity. We're going to have, we're going to have projects we're going to do. We're going to have activities that we're going to have. We're going to have all kinds of things that we're going to enjoy. And that heaven that God has prepared for us, it's going to be good. And in the new creation, it's going to be even better. But we've got to get past all of these things that divide us because, quite frankly, we're part of one family serving one God, one Savior, filled with one spirit. Praise be to the Lord. Right. I just wanted to touch on this. And this is how God works, folks. I'm supposed to teach this weekend on community. And I had a whole different message lined out. And as of... It was Saturday, last Saturday. I felt kinda I felt God kind of moving me away from that message. And as of yesterday, I had a completely different one. I had to set that one off to the side and start all over. Now, I'm just gonna quickly show this. This is how God sets up his family, his community. And remember. This is about, um, and I'm going to talk about how uh, God set up the tribes around the tabernacle. He told Moses, he says, set these these people out in this manner. The tribe of Levi, immediately, immediate surrounding of the tabernacle. So closest to the tabernacle. Because why? The Levites were what? The priests. They were taking care of the priestly duties. Tribes of Dan, Asher, and Naphtali on the north side. The tribes of Gad, Simeon, Reuben on the south side. Tribes of Judah, Issachar, and Zebulun on the east side. Tribes of Ephraim, Manasseh, and Benjamin on the west side. Now, I wanted to point that out because he set all of them in their, in their patterns or where he wanted them. Now, did they all have differences? Yeah. They they all did. Each one of those tribes had a different view of the tabernacle in, in all of their day to day basis. So as the sun rose, sunset, you know, the cloudiness, whatever, it, all of those things, they had a different view of the tabernacle. But they were still focused on God, God's presence. And what was his presence? He moved them by pillar of fire at night and a pillar of smoke during the day. What was their focal point? It was God. Mm -hmm. Powerful. And where will we be today if we we did the same thing? Just making God our focal point. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the thing is like our, our, our culture today, Brian tells us that, you know, if we're going to have a community that we need to have this sole thing in common, X, soul x whatever it is in common and our church has adopted our churches have adopted that actual 
same mindset where nothing can interact, nothing can go. In in this, you see how God sets this up, and you read through Scripture, and you see the all the diversity and the fighting, the infighting, and the the disagreements and the agreements, but they were always focused on God. Mm-hmm. Why Amen. can't we be that today? We need to be, because like you know, like I said, you know, in heaven, God's going to be the focal point. He's going to be the center point. We're going to have heaven is going to be an amazing place. Uh, I'm going to go into a great deal of different things about heaven in this upcoming book, but let me just say for now, suffice it to say for now, um, we we need to learn how to get along. (laughs) Because Mm. the family of God is going to be spending an eternity together. Mm. That's just crazy. Well, we here at Bellator Christi want to thank you for spending time together with us, and we value that time. Our prayers that this podcast helps stretch your mind and becomes a place to strengthen your faith as we strive to create an atmosphere of discussion and become a reliable source of information. Join us next time on the Bellator Christi podcast, and until next time, Brian and I say, soldier on, friends. Soldier on, friends. You've been listening to the Bellator Christie Podcast with Brian Chilton and Curtis Evalo. This podcast is an exclusive production of Bellator Christie Ministries and is protected under Creative Commons copyright, all rights reserved. The views expressed on this podcast may not reflect the opinions of Bellator Christie Ministries and its affiliates. We thank you for listening and hope you'll consider leaving a positive review. To see more from Bellator Christie Ministries, go to bellatorchristi.com. Hello everyone, Dr. Brian Chilton here, and I want to remind you that on Thursday nights at 8 p.m. Eastern, you can catch the Bellator Christie podcast recorded live. And we air our podcast on both our Facebook accounts, but also at our YouTube account found at youtube.com forward slash Bellator Christie. At the YouTube account, you can not only catch the live shows, but we also have playlists that have all the episodes that have been uploaded to the account where you can go and look at all those episodes and catch up any any episode that you may have missed. So we encourage you to go over to youtube.com forward slash Bellator Christie, and while you're there, be sure to click the subscribe button.